The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Good evening to you. I hope that you're doing well tonight. My name is Danny Ramos, and so welcome to the Revive service here at Maranatha Chapel. I don't know if you had an opportunity to be here last week. We had a guest speaker, David uh, Tall. Uh, he's our um, tour guide. Uh, when the church goes to Israel, and he kind of shared his testimony a little bit, but he also uh, gave us some insight as to what's going on in the land. And if you, if you missed it, for whatever reason, you can access it on the church YouTube channel, uh, so we'll have it there uh, for those who weren't able to see it. Also, I wanted to let you know that a week from tonight, we have a worship night. That is, the whole service is dedicated to worship and, and to ministry. And then on Sunday, September the 17th, yes, I'm, yes, I'm reading my notes because we've got a lot of details on this one. Um, so for the Feast of Trumpets, it begins at 6 p.m. However, if you want to come early, again, it's a Sunday at 4.30, the first 1,200, almost said 12,000, the first 1,200 people will have uh, dinner. I think they're doing kebabs and hummus and refried beans. Uh, I'm not sure about the refried beans. That's, that's me just being hopeful. Um, but then the service starts at 6 p.m. We'll go through 9 p.m. As, as has been uh, stated numerous times, this is for the whole family. Uh, it's a celebration, a party, uh, depending on how you party. Uh, Danny doesn't party till 9, 9 p.m., but uh, I'll give it my best shot. And then if you're coming and you're just sensitive to the crowds, the sanctuary itself will be open at 5.30. So dinner at 4.30, a sanctuary doors open at 5.30, and then the, the service itself will go from six, uh, 6 to 9 with a lot of worship, uh, a lot of worship teaching by Pastor Daniel. And so then we're going to be in Mark's Gospel, chapter 9, verses 30 through 37. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you tonight uh, for the opportunity to, that through Jesus' ministry, to, specifically to his disciples initially, but then we glean, we learn from uh, their lesson, Lord, this, this lesson of humility and what it looks like to serve others, which isn't alien to us, especially if we're within the church. But in the first century, uh, Palestine was, was very, very, uh, was unheard of. The, the disciples would have been unfamiliar with the idea of serving others, with exhibiting humility. And yet, Jesus, your great example to us is, is that God became a man and served us by dying on the cross. And so tonight, Lord, we pray that you would teach us, that you would show us uh, what, what, this, what this looks like. In your name we pray, amen. amen. You know, through the course of the week, somebody came up and said, Danny, do you know what kind of tree you can hold in your hand? And I was thinking, well, you know, a Christmas tree, you have to pick up a Christmas tree and, you know, bring it into the house. And uh, maybe a bonsai, bonsai are kind of smaller, you could hold it in your hand. He said, no, Danny, it's neither one of those. It's a palm tree. You can hold a palm tree in your hand. You know, this, this, not this week, but last week, I was on one of those, those text messages where I recognized one or two of the names because they're in my contact list, but the other names I didn't recognize. Actually, there were no names. There were phone numbers. And so Danny kind of looks at the, you know, the area code, trying to figure out, like, where are these people coming from? But then nowadays, people move to different area codes, and yet they retain their old area code. And... It was a friend of mine. He initiated the text, and he said, um, 
I'm struggling. It's really, really hard. Can you come? And so, you know, all these replies, well, I can come next week, which would be this week, actually Tuesday of this week. And, and another said, I too can come at Tuesday. And some said, well, I can't come in the afternoon. But you know how you kind of go back and forth trying. And it, and it finally came together. I was able, I was able to, to, to make the drive to this location and arrived at a small church. And obviously, I wouldn't know the cars in the parking lot, but I made my way into the office. No one was there. I made my way into the sanctuary. No one was there. Again, it's small, so this didn't take long for me to, to find a group of men that had gathered in a, in a, in a youth center where the youth, obviously the youth met. And they were there talking amongst themselves, and, and I'm, so I'm looking at faces, like two I recognized really well and knew them by name. Obviously, one of them was the gentleman who asked us to be there, and then, you know, the others I didn't. So there were the introductions. But I knew we were there not to socialize. I knew we were there because a brother was in need. He's a pastor. He's having a hard time. So then after some, the introductions and a little bit of chit-chat, four of us disappeared into a back room, closed the door. And a man spoke out of pain. I don't know much about the genders, but when a man speaks out of pain, to me it's different. Man spoke out of emotion. Tears soon began to come down his cheeks. And in so many words, he said, I don't know if I can go anymore. I don't know if I can do this anymore. So then the friends went to their knees, anointed with oil, and began to cry out to God. Not, not nice prayer meeting prayers, not, not, and there's nothing wrong with those. I participate in a lot of prayer meetings. Not religious prayers. The, the, the tone was very different. There was, there was a, a confidence and a boldness. And again, I didn't know everybody in the group. I didn't know their personalities or their theology on the spirit but, but I knew what I believe. I know what I believe, and I, I know what I do. And it, it was as though as soon as one stopped praying, the other would begin again and again and again. Uh, maybe like, and this may offend some of you, like a boxer picking his, picking his you know, the, 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 the jabs and then the, the strikes. And these men who didn't know each other were working as though they were one man on behalf of their friend. And I, I need to tell you, when I looked at the concrete floor below them, there was a puddle of tears. A puddle. And although this might gross some of you out, even some, some mucus, because they were sobbing before the Lord on behalf of this brother. And they began to speak to spiritual entities, to spirits that were associated behind the, the discouragement, behind the frustration and the fatigue. 
And I don't know how long we went, but, but it was as these voices cried out that something began to happen in the spiritual realm, and it was real. And I don't think this happens all the time. And I don't think this happens at every prayer meeting. Maybe it does, but this is me. But then something shifted in the room. Something changed. And from the center of the group, a man said, it's gone. It's lifted. I'm free. My friends, tonight we're going to talk about humility. And sometimes humility looks like war. Sometimes humility looks like David in the valley of El Elah standing before a Philistine giant, a, a, a seasoned warrior. And, and, and it's, it's not that, that David is religious, but that he comes and he stands before this warrior. And, and David knows who he is, but he also knows who his God is. And his resume comes from when he was a shepherd watching his father's sheep. And his resume is that when the lion or when the bear came, that God delivered him. Listen to those words. God delivered him. Not a man delivered him. Not a, a theological uh, uh, a treatise f delivered him. Not, a, not a, a strategy delivered him. He said, no, God delivered me from the lion. God delivered me from the bear. And God will deliver me from you. My friends, that is what humility looks like. Sometimes within our, within our psyche, within our understanding, we think, well, humility means you're a doormat. People walk over you and ste step on you. And yet, when you see Jesus, you're seeing humility personified. Jesus alone, Jesus alone shows us what humility is like. And yet you will see it in the lives of believers. On the screen, you'll see from John 10.10, 10, Jesus says these words. The thief, speaking of Satan. Satan is, is, is an angel, is a personified, uh, is a spirit, but then he has a kingdom. And so when he says the thief comes to steal to, and kill and to destroy, but Jesus says this, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. There is an abundant life that comes to those who follow Jesus, who trust in Jesus. But the abundance isn't like anything we can imagine. It's not necessarily power. It's, it's not necessarily being on top or, 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 or having power within, within the same mindset that somebody in the world sees power. This power we will see tonight in Jesus as he teaches his disciples. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And that is for you and for me. In Jesus' words, I want you to see two forces at work in the world. We encountered them on, uh, on this, this week. One promises life but delivers death. And the promises, my friends, tonight are many. The other promises and gives life eternal. The contrast helps us understand a spiritual kingdom in which humility leads the way. Someone once said, and I, I kind of like this, is that the way up is down. In God's kingdom, the way up is down. 
Again, Jesus in Mark chapter 9, which we'll look at tonight, specifically verse 35. Listen to these words. should be on the screen. It says that he sat down. This is the posture of a rabbi or a teacher. He sat down and he called the twelve. He called the, the disciples to himself. The idea of everything that we read tonight is instructive, specifically for the disciples, but also for us. And he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Now, context here is imperative. The disciples were jockeying for position. This is something that men and that we do. We, 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 we ascribe for position. They were asserting why they should be have rank in Jesus' kingdom. That's the forefront of their mind. Their motivation for moving up the ladder was based on their perception of what it means to be great or to be first. The, the words are interchangeable. But Jesus comes in and he takes their value system and he wants to take our value system and he turns it upside down. You're familiar with the flow chart and the, you know, the, the whomever at the top and it works all the way down till Danny on the bottom. But you know, he takes it and he flips it upside down. It's as though he goes into the grocery store. I know I'd love to do this sometime. And he changes the prices on everything, especially the refried beans. And he, he, gives, he makes them different. By elevating service, Jesus redefines what greatness is. And this is important for us to know tonight. When he says that power isn't to be used to gratify our desires or our wants, but to meet the needs of others. I want to read to you from Luke chapter 22, verse 27, where Jesus says, For who is the greater, one who reclines at the table or one who serves? Jesus goes on to say, is it not the one who reclines at the table, the one who is served by the servants? And then Jesus says this of himself. Listen to this. I am, I am among you as the one who serves. So Jesus is speaking to the disciples tonight. And there's three whys I want to look at. Three whys. The why of power. You may have power. You may have position. There's nothing wrong with that. The question we want to answer is why? Jesus would tell us why you have power platform, influence, to use that power platform or influence to help others. Secondly, the why of not understanding. The disciples have no clue. They have no clue as to why, uh, uh, what Jesus is talking about when he talks about going to Jerusalem and dying and when he talks about serving others because of their expectations, their expectations of, of, what, of what greatness meant. Then thirdly, the why of serving. Jesus tells us the why of serving is to do so in humility. So tonight in Mark chapter 9, verses 30 through 32, the first section, where we see that the way of humility is exemplified in the cross, we are reminded that Jesus' humility is seen with clarity on the cross. That's where he served you, and that's where he served me. And it's the last things the disciples expected. As a matter of fact, with all clarity, we say that Jesus is the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, that it was foretold long before that, that Messiah would come and die, and that this is the plan of God from the beginning. The beginning of what, Danny? Well, I, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God is speaking. He's speaking to the servant. 
serpent, not the servant, the serpent. He's speaking to the devil, Satan. And he says, I will put enmity or hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Now, in some of your Bibles, instead of the word offspring, there will be the word seed with a capital S in reference to Christ. And he will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That is that through the cross, Jesus would deliver a mortal wound to the enemy. Yet Jesus himself would suffer. Listen to me. Yet Jesus himself would experience suffering. And I think it's, it, it's, it's interesting that Pastor Daniel's been leading us on Sunday mornings or Saturday nights these last couple of weeks through the crucifixion. That's the first thing we're going to look at tonight. The way of humility exemplified at the cross. Secondly, in Mark chapter 9, verses 33 through 37, we're going to see humility exemplified in a child. My kids are in their 40s. Both of my daughters in their 40s. My grandkids are beginning to, the youngest is nine, soon to be 10. So they're starting to move out. But there's nothing for me, there's nothing for me to be in the, you know, in the public somewhere, maybe at a restaurant, and to watch one of these little ones, you know, these little ones. I mean, mom and dad are close by. They can see them. And this little guy, this little guy happens to here on Sunday mornings all the time. They're just like running back and forth. They're laughing. Some little stinkers are trying to climb the, the stairs over here to get on the platform, probably because of the colors, right? But to see a child... To see a child be, that is helpless and dependent. Tonight, my friends, we will see the way of humility exemplified in a child. Now listen to what I'm about to say. It's not that believers don't take positions of authority. We do. With great posi positions of authority comes great responsibility. It's that we use our authority to help others, not for ourselves solely. Jesus isn't saying that we never think about our needs. That's not what he's saying. He's, listen to this, is very important. He's redirecting the disciples' idea of the why of power. The why of power. He's taking his disciples, no longer ministering to the crowds, and he's breathing life into what they think power is. The why of power is to serve others. Listen to this familiar quote by C.S. Lewis, where he says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. So on the screen, you'll see the way of humility will begin in verses 30, 30 through 32, exemplified in the cross. Read along with me, if you will. And they went on from there, and they passed through the Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know. For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man, this is from the book of Daniel. The Son of Man is a title that Jesus uses of himself more than any other title. He says, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. And they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they, verse 32, did not understand the saying, and they were also afraid to ask. 
So we've talked about the why of power, which is to serve others. Now we're going to look a little bit at the why of not understanding because of the disciples' expectations. But I want to begin in Isaiah 50, 50 verse 7, because it's descriptive of Jesus' manner at this time of his focus. There was a period of time where he was spreading the gospel. He was ministering powerfully, healing, delivering, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. That was his focus for a period of time. And although he can still do that and will still do that, that is no longer his focus. His focus are the twelve. So in Isaiah 50, verse 7, it says, But the Lord God helps me or assists me. Therefore, because that's true, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. It speaks of Jesus' going to Jerusalem knowing what he will do. Which ministers to me because there are some that says, well, this is a story, of a, 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 a beautiful story that tragically went wrong. No, my friends, it was the plan from the beginning. It was the plan from the beginning. Remember God's words to the serpent. He shall bruise your head at Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, Mount Calvary, and you shall bruise his heel. Jesus would not be detoured from his purpose, crucifixion, resurrection, ascension. He's determined to prepare his disciples for what is about to happen. Listen, he's preparing his friends for what's about to happen even though they don't understand in the moment. And you and I are in this world to prepare our children and to prepare our friends for what has happened historically, but also what will happen in the future, even if they don't understand, even if they're not receptive. We prepare those we love for Christ's return through the communication of the gospel. The group moves through the region of Galilee. No longer are they stopping. No longer are they ministering to the crowds. Some may wonder why the disciples were unable to receive the idea of Jesus' dying, of his suffering, even more his rising from the dead. So we see in verse 31 that a second time, at least recorded in Mark's gospel, a second time he says the same words. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. This is the central message that Jesus is communicating to the disciples. But it is also the way his, his service to us is also his humility exemplified on the cross. So we sit here some 2,000 years later and we see with 2020 clarity. But in the moment, the disciples' vision or understanding was clouded by their expectations. In their minds, messiahs don't die. In their minds, Messiah comes and drives out the Romans and establishes the disciples in positions of authority. That's the background. 
We are on the ground level. He is our rabbi. He has been training us for the kingdom that will soon be. And so if you can imagine in their minds, it's like, it's like we will have positions. I mean, Jesus will be the king, but we will have a place in his government. We will use his government to drive out the Romans. We will return to glory. We will return to the days of Solomon, the days of David. That's what they had in their minds. And that is the second why. The why they didn't understand, verse 32. And why they were unable to grasp Jesus' words. Their expectations were elevated not being able to see humility exemplified in the cross. The why they didn't understand was because of their expectations. Now, there's two things before we move on. Galilee won't see Jesus again until after the resurrection. Galilee has had Jesus for approximately two and a half years. Galilee has had Jesus teaching God's word in a way that the people could understand. Galilee had Jesus almost at every moment available to them. But listen, that time has run out. And the next time Galilee sees Jesus, and it'll likely be mostly his disciples, his followers who leave Jerusalem and travel north, the next time they see Jesus, he will be raised from the dead and glorified. Which makes me wonder, which makes me wonder sometimes if we realize that our time is limited. That we, don't, we don't know the expiration date on many things. I mean, you can go in my refrigerator. I will gladly point out the expiration date on a number of different food products in there. But we don't know when Christ will return to earth. Galilee will not see Jesus again. The second thing regarding Galilee is the mission. The mission of Jesus will be handed over to his men, to his friends. This is why it is so important for them to learn that ministry must be accomplished in a spirit of humility. That is the third thing, the why of serving. Jesus wants ministry to be done in his name in a certain way. Never ever promoting an individual. Remember David before the, before the giant? My God saved me from the lion. My God saved me from the bear. And my God will save me from you. David isn't in any way elevated or pointing to his own resources or his own giftings or his own abilities or to his own, to his own track record. He is pointing to God. And Jesus wants us to minister in humility, pointing to Jesus. And so that's the why. That's the why of serving. I want you to think about this. While they were on their way to Jerusalem, passing through Samaria, 
James and John were sent by Jesus. They were dispatched. And he said, you know, go into the Samaritan city and town and, and, and see if they will receive us. And so the brothers, the sons of thunders, they get sent out, right? And, and probably their feelings were hurt. And they were probably upset that Jesus was rejected there. And they come to Jesus. And remembering from 1 Kings uh, chapter 18, when Elijah called down fire from heaven to consume uh, the sacrifice on the altar, uh, they, they asked Jesus, should we now, because they've rejected you, should we call down fire from heaven? What they were saying is, you want us to judge them? You remember, remember the story, Jesus, from, you remember from the Old Testament? Well, I guess that's all they had at that time, right? No New Testament. But, but do, you, do you remember Jesus? Do you want us to judge them? Do, do you want us to take matters into our own hands and, and judge the evil in our midst? Listen to what Jesus said, because I think this speaks to us tonight. In Luke chapter 9, verse 55, it says, But he turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save men. This is the spirit that the church is to minister in. That we're to see other people as those who potentially have the potential of coming to Christ. Some emphasize the what of serving. Do this, do that. You, you need to do this more. You need to do that more. But on the screen, you'll see a, a quote. It says, humility is how we serve in Jesus' name. may not necessarily be the what, which is emphasized more than, than other things, but it certainly is the how. The how. Secondly, in verse 31, Jesus mentions his being delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. There's two perspectives on this. There's probably more, but I'm going to give you two tonight. First, from one perspective, it was Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, who would betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He would, he would, he would make an agreement with the, with the religious leaders that I will take you to him. I will give him into your, listen, into your hands, under your control. We saw that in the Garden of Gethsemane, didn't we? And then the Jewish religious leaders would turn him over to the Romans. As has been pointed out numerous times, crucifixion was a means of Roman execution, stoning Jewish. But there's another perspective, and it's found in Acts chapter 2, verse 23. Now Peter is preaching. This is the day of Pentecost. And these are Peter's words. This Jesus, listen to the terminology. It's exactly the same terminology Jesus used. Maybe Peter remembered Jesus' words. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So then it was God's plan. Remember what, remember what, what the Lord told the serpent. You will deliver that mortal wound, to, or you will, you will receive a mortal wound to your head, but he will be wounded in his heel. So think that it was God's plan for Jesus to die and to rise from the dead. But it's also true, again, the second perspective, that those who rejected and called for his execution were responsible for their actions. Let me read to you from Isaiah again, this time Isaiah 53, verse 4. The prophet speaks of the suffering servant. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, judged by God. And that's what happened on the cross. Jesus was judged for our sins. 
There's more. Verse 10. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. It was the will of God to crush his son upon the cross. Listen. So that our sins could be dealt with completely and totally. The son received being smitten. The son received being crushed and the grief associated with because of his love for you. Our great need, my friends, is the forgiveness of our sins. Our great need tonight, my friends, is the abundant life that Jesus spoke of from John chapter 10. And tonight, you know that you're loved, not by your behavior or your lack of behavior, but because of what Christ has accomplished on the cross. In verse 32, it says, but they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. The disciples were afraid to know any more. The truth was painful, as it oftentimes is, but in time it would be revealed. See a process, not a moment. From Luke chapter 9, verse 45, this should be on the screen. This is a parallel passage. Luke writes, But they did not understand this saying, against reference to the cross, the resurrection, and it was concealed from them, so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about the same. In our next section, Jesus engages the disciples by pointing them to the way of humility by means of a child. Read with me, if you will, in verse 33. So they're in Galilee. They're moving through Galilee. They come to Capernaum. Capernaum was the kind of the home base of Jesus as he ministered for, 30, for, three, for two and a half years at this point in time. It's likely where Peter was, where he lived. It says, and when, he, when they came to Capernaum, Capernaum, and when he was in the house, likely Peter's home, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, we've already read this in the introduction, if any would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And then Jesus does something very interesting. One of the children that was nearby, likely that belonged to the family, look, look at what he does. Again, humility exemplified in a child. It says, and he took a child and he put it in the midst or in the center of them. The disciples likely would have to, 12 in this small home, would have had to make room for the child. The child becomes the pulpit, becomes the message. The child comes and stands before Jesus and the disciples and instructs, although he says not a word. And taking him, the child, in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but the one who sent me, referring to the Father. This argument of who would be the top dog was ongoing, likely through the totality of Jesus' ministry. The disciples were bickering and talking. 
It was as they were walking and and talking amongst themselves, Jesus leading the way, they would have a discussion as to, I should be at this position, and no, I should be, and this is my background, here's my resume. Oh, I'm a better speaker than that one than you, and, and, and I have more knowledge than you. And, and you know, when we work miracles, it seemed like more people lined up in front of me than lined up in front of you. Well, I'm closer to Jesus, the three would say. He, he took us on the Mount of Transfiguration. He took us into Jairus' daughter. There were times that he left the nine behind, and we were closer to him. And you can only imagine. There were times when... There were times when my father would take us to Texas from Vista, California. That's where I was raised. He, he would never tell us we were going. My dad's from San Antonio. So he would come home after work. He would clean up. We would have dinner. And he would say, I mean, just out of nowhere, out of the blue, not to him. I'm sure he and my mom discussed this. He would say, we're going to Texas. And I'm like, What? Could we have at least a discussion about this? You know, I mean, I'd never say that, but that's what I was thinking. Because Texas, to me, represented two and a half days in a car. My dad didn't believe in hotels or restaurants. And so my mom would get a loaf of bread and bologna and, and, and mustard, and, and we would take off. And we would stop at certain... Now, this was during the summer months. Have you ever been in Yuma during the summer months? And you pull over by the side of the road... And they bring out these warm sodas and, and you, you make sandwiches and then you load back in the car and you go. And, you know, I tell my dad, Dad, it's like really hot back here. He says, well, roll down the window. And I go, what now? You want the hot air to take the skin off of my face? I mean, like, you know, and it would be that way from, from Vista all the way to San Antonio. But there were four kids in the back seat. And, and, and soon it didn't take long Dad, he's touching me. I mean, how could you not touch each other, right? I mean, you're like back there like sardines. He's touching me. He's leaning on me. He's looking at me. As you can imagine, the bickering from the back seat. The disciples, I will be the greatest. I will be the top dog. Come on now. I will have the biggest ministry. I will have the most followers. I will have the biggest budget. I will be known for my gifting. And Jesus draws from the family and places a child in their midst. Likely they knew that kid by name. Luke tells us that this debate would continue up until the Last Supper. Luke 22, verse 24. And there arose a dispute among brothers. There arose a dispute among them as to which one would be regarded to be the greatest. It's important for us to remember that Jesus is teaching may have not have been received or understood in real time, but that after his ascension, after the giving of the Holy Spirit, the disciples would recall, they would remember, listen, and then they would understand. And there's sometimes you and I come to the scriptures and we don't understand. 
and we're afraid to ask questions. But in time, my friends, the work of the Spirit is to help us understand the Word of God. I want you to see Jesus' confrontation of personal ambition here. If any would be first. That's what you're arguing about. That's what you're dividing about. That's why one pastor leaves a staff and goes and plants a church uh, uh, nearby as to who will be the greatest. Uh, That's why friends part ways, brothers in Christ go different directions as to who will be the greatest. That's why when they line up down here or out on La Jolla's shores, people make a mental note, who is the greatest? And David would tell you, with his shepherd's staff and those rocks in his pouch, he is the greatest. Jesus is the greatest, and no other man or woman or ministry. It is Jesus and Jesus alone who is greatest. Almost done. Hang with me. For almost three years, the disciples watched humility personified, serve people. Listen, from every walk of life. Those who were rejected by the religious community were welcomed by Jesus. He served them. He ministered to them. In their hearts, they knew their arguing was wrong. If not, they would have not remained silent. Notice with me that Jesus doesn't rebuke. He embraces. And he pulls a child to himself, and he holds him in his arms. Now, in this culture, a child would have been valued. A child would have been loved and appreciated. But think about this. A child is powerless to give you power. They can't give you rank. A child can't give you rank. A, a, A child can't affirm you. The only thing a child does is give you love. And, and ask and is dependent upon you. And we would all expect that, that, that if a child asked of us of anything, as Wanda and I were on vacation, uh, we were in a visitor center and we were looking for a particular hike uh, that was recommended to us. And I remember there were two levels. There was the entrance where you came in and the rangers were, and then there was a lower level where you could see some of the wildlife. They weren't wild anymore. They were stuffed, but you could kind of see, thankfully, because there was a moose in there and I think a bear, but nevertheless, and we were kind of looking at some of the things. Now, my wife reads the plaque and reads all the information. I kind of look at it and move on, kind of look at that move on. And I'll never forget, this, this little guy came out of nowhere and he said, to Wanda, I would likely have scared him, but he comes up to Wanda and he goes, can you help me find my daddy? And so my wife took him up to the counter, and I think even up as they were going up to the counter, they bumped into mom. But do you see that a child doesn't give you greatness or power? And yet look what Jesus says. He embraces a child, and he says, unless you become as a child. Danny, what are you trying to say? I'm saying that if we look at the totality of Jesus' ministry, he ministered to listen to the poor. He, listened, he, he ministered to the poor. He ministered to the powerless. And when you and I engage in ministry, if we're to follow the example of a child, we minister to others without the expectation of them being able to do anything in return for us. Do you hear me tonight? 
We minister to one another. Not because because of there's any prestige or or, or any chance for you to to give me anything. But Jesus says, in the same way that a child cannot give you anything in return for your service, no fame, no fortune, you minister to the child knowing, listen, that once you've ministered to them, my Father will give you all things in Christ Jesus. All things. The power of humility frees us to give, knowing that God repays, perhaps in this life, if not, certainly in the life to come. I close with a passage of Scripture. It's rather long. And then I will be done. Philippians chapter 2. So if there is any, th- any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord with, of, of one mind and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only for his own interests, so you certainly can look out for our own interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is shared from Jesus. This is given to us by Jesus, who, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself. Let me pause right here. Jesus was fully God and fully man. There was a ne- never a moment or a time that his divinity was, was less. It was, it was, it was all, he was always God. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father. My friends, we serve Jesus in humility. Humility being the absence of pride and arrogance. And we serve Jesus in the same way that to be as a child. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you in this time for this example to the disciples of the humility you call us to minister in. But like the young shepherd boy standing before the mighty giant. He comes in the name of the Lord of the hosts of Israel. Almighty God, we come in your name, and when we come in your name, we seek not that we would be lifted up or exalted in any way, but that you would, that you would. And when we do, you repay us, you fill us, you reward us with a joy unexpressible, a joy overwhelming. Jesus, you called it life, life abundant. Fill us now. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. 
If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our midweek revive service held Wednesday evenings. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.